Well, good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you all here on this bright and sunny winter morning. Um, um, robots are everywhere, aren't they? Absolutely everywhere. Just two or three weeks ago, I uh, spoke to my mobile phone company and uh, was talked to by a robot. And I know it was a robot because it took me uh, three attempts to realise that this, this person on the other end of the phone couldn't answer my question. And I, and I asked the same question as we do um, uh, typically, you know, the same question, exactly the same words, slightly slower, slightly clearer, probably slightly, slightly louder each time and got exactly the same answer, verbatim, exactly the same answer. And so after the second time, I realised, hmm, this, this is strange. And I did put the phone down, rather frustrated, um, uh, and, and, you know, set myself off to find a phone number that I could phone instead. Um, but I didn't know it wasn't, I wasn't a real person until the second or, or third uh, attempt, as I say. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, scenario. The other thing, of course, you see from a robot's perspective all the time is if you go online, you find somebody somewhere in the background runs a little snazzy al algorithm which will say, oh, people like you buy this sort of stuff, uh, which for me is quite alarming. Uh, clearly, I'm supposed to be into thermal socks and, and books on yoga, which I do find quite alarming. But, but um, you know, that I think is quite, quite interesting. And again, personally, from my perspective... I don't like the fact that people are trying to presume what I might like or buy. So I think culturally some interesting challenges that we all need to wrestle with in this clearly increasingly robotic age and automation age. The, the fact I found out um, just a couple of days ago listening to the radio, which I thought was fascinating, was that 65% of all Facebook interactions are done by bots. So only 35% of the dialogue that goes on within Facebook is people-to-people -people contact. The rest are people liking things, sending out spam, advertising, etc. So robots are everywhere already today. You know, whether or not it's telling us what news to read through things like Facebook, um, whether it's packing and, and picking my groceries, whether it's checking whether I'm the right person at the airport who should be, uh, should be coming through customs, they're everywhere. And if you take the analogies back and closer to home and our environment um, from, a, from an insurance perspective, we've been using automated processes and robots to do our pricing, to do credit checks, to, to work out when and how to send out various communications, etc., etc. So robots are everywhere and have been around for quite a long time. So, uh, so why now is it all getting a little bit more interesting? Um, you know, I, as I say, I think you know the cynic in me could say, well, it's because the robots clearly is writing writing the news. So um, somebody somewhere has worked out an algorithm. This is a hot topic, and it's floated up to the top of all of our consciousness. But I think. The, the, the realist in me is actually, when you look at a couple of things, you can see why this has happened. And I guess the first, for me, is all around data. So we now have access to loads and loads of data. And the days are gone where you can have somebody sat in a room looking through a general ledger or through a list of data, manually looking for connections and what that data is telling you. So the fact that we have all this data has created a need, I believe, for robotics and robotics um, automation. The second reason, I think, um, is because if you look at how, how technology has progressed, we have the ability now, more cheaply, to do some smart stuff with that data. Whether it's cross-referring, whether it's validating data, whether it's pulling different data from different sources and doing checks and balances, we can all do it much more cheaply um, and much more quickly, real-time, often. So those two forces coming together have made this whole environment more accessible and more exciting. And I guess the dangerous or the concerning piece for us is if we in the sort of the more uh, traditional insurance environments don't take hold of this opportunity, we will get gobbled up by people who understand how to, how to uh, leverage both of those pieces of, 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 of technology. 
And if you look at what's happening, for example, with Google and Amazon, both of whom have put their toe in the insurance world, it, that is why, I think, because the, the technology and the data is there. But I think from our perspective, you know, unless we are sensible and we think about how we adopt this, you know, the people with the cleverest robots will win. And certainly from an Allianz perspective, we're very interested in how we can leverage this capability to, uh, to create uh, lower costs, yes, but to speed up what we do and deliver much better and faster customer service. Clearly to de-risk our business by doing checks and balances on different sources of data, which is now publicly available. And I think the most exciting bit for us is we're starting to understand how we can create new business models because we can do things now very cheaply that previously were just cost prohibitive in relation to the sorts of products we can build and the sort of risks we can underwrite. So if you think about those four opportunities, you know, we'd be daft not to, to get on this particular bandwagon. So with all of this change going on, you know, do we, do we think we will, we will be redundant in five years' time? Will we all have, have no jobs? And I think the challenge for us here is to think, we have to think smart and we have to think on our feet. Because, I mean, again, a couple of stats, and I think there's one on here which talks about 65% of children who are now at school, at junior school, will be going on to a job in, say, 15 years' time that hasn't even been invented yet. And if you look back 10 years and you look at the jobs we have now, you know, things like social media marketeer or RPA analyst, um, you know, those jobs were not invented. So we need to be fleet of foot, we need to be smart, we need to embrace robotics, but recognise our environment will change, the jobs will change, and the type of work that people in our businesses do will change. So that, I think, as I say, is our, is our challenge. So uh, let's, let's start to sort of bring this topic a little bit more, more to life. And I think most people in this room, if they've doubled, dabbled in this subject, will clearly recognise this sort of continuum of increasing robotics uh, technology and capability. Um, and I think, you know, so, but, but what is robotics? So if you think about it at its very most fundamental and, and basic pers perspective, you know, ever since we've had men and women looking to do work, they have at the same time looked to see how they can avoid doing that work or how they can do it more efficiently. So for many, many, uh, many, many eons, people have been dabbling with tools, capabilities and technologies to make life easier and more efficient. Um, and so a robot is simply a machine. It's simply a thing that does an action. It takes an action. Most likely previously done by a person, but not exclusively so. Um, you know, so if, if this happens, take that action. If this doesn't happen, take this action. That's in its very simplest form what robotics is all about. But of course, increasingly, those, those tasks become more complex. And as soon as they start to become more complex, you've probably got a computer that's calling the shots and working out what needs to be done. And as those tasks start to become coupled and linked uh, and become self-managing and, and self-automated, uh, then, then you start to move up this continuum and get to a place where, actually quite scarily, you look at things that don't need any people's involvement at all. Um, so, yes, yeah, so this, this is quite interesting. And I think the thing to remember here, and I've used some unhelpful graphics to suggest that robots are people um, straight out, out, of, uh, out of Hollywood, but the majority of robots are bits of tin and wire boxes that manage and run obviously, computer algorithms. Um, and if you look at things like Watson, that's what Watson is. And ASIMO, which I'm sure you've all heard of, Honda is this humanoid uh, robot. But 99% of robotics are very unsexy, boring, don't make very good graphics, boxes that just run machine code. Um, so, and so, uh, you know, I think from, from our perspective, uh, you know, where, where are we on this continuum? Well, we are sort of dabbling in the second and third generation. And I'll give you a bit more of an insight on what that means in practice in a moment. 
Um, but just to bring this to life for you, so first generation attended robots, somebody needs to sit there, hit a button, and a process will run. We've been doing that for, for, for ages. Um, and and in, when we talk about Gen 2 capability, we're starting to sort of dabble into things like fraud checks. So we set up a, ski, uh, a routine which says, when this happens, please run this routine and take this, this action. Um, and as you go up to Gen 3, you start to get into some of the things, for example, um, like uh, the phone example I gave you earlier. Um, with my mobile phone provider. Actually, there's a little bit of thought processing in there and a little bit of self-analytics, and working alongside humans, those processes become improved and more sophisticated. Then you start to, start to move up into Gen 4.1, and that's where it starts to get really, really quite interesting. Um, and I think, you know, from our perspective, things like analytics, decision engines, this is where it becomes really quite enabling and quite empowering for our business and will open some really new and exciting doors. But from an Alliance perspective, we're, we've been doing Generation 1 and 2 capability for, for many, many years, starting to think about 3 and keeping our options open into relation, in relation to the technology we're choosing so we can exploit 4.1. Now, I've deliberately not gone into the 4.2 generation because, quite frankly, it scares me. <laughs> um, I don't know if any of you have seen the film Ex Machina few or Terminator. Everyone's seen Terminator. Um, but these are the sort of the realms in my, my darkest moments I think we're just starting to, to go into if we're not careful. And I'm sure the technologists here will tell you that, that that's not, a, not as, as doom-laden as I'm making out. But, you know, full automation with absolutely no human inter 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 interaction is quite an interesting uh, environment in which we, uh, we, we, uh, we all need to think very carefully about how we, we move. So some interesting things there. And as I said, you know, Alliance has, has been on this path for a while and, and starting to explore what, what's what. So I thought I'd start um, just by sort of taking you through some of the questions we asked ourselves. So what does robotics mean to our business? What have we been considering? You know, is this about taking all of our customer service agents out of our contact centers? And for us, the answer is very clearly some yes, all no. We are here to provide assisted service for our customers. So we recognize there will be some times where the simple things cannot be quickly and simply answered by a robot, and we, we don't want that. We want to create that empathetic environment where people feel they're talking to somebody who's caring, properly listening, and taking the course of action tailored to them. But without a doubt, there's a great opportunity here for us to automate a lot of the really simple transactional stuff. And if you think about it, we do this a lot today. We have straight-through processing in most of our businesses, and that's, in effect, what, what we have today. If you think about the underwriting environment as well, you know, I think, you know, I've seen various stats which say sort of three-quarters of your average underwriter spends their time moving data between different cells and boxes in spreadsheets. They're not doing or, or exploiting the core skills that, that, that they've learned. So will we need underwriters in future? Yes, we will, again. But the simple stuff, again, we're already exploiting, by and large, in our direct and SME business. We have 90, 95% of our, of our sales are completely done without any human intervention. Um, but somebody has to write the rules. Somebody has to code them. Someone has to check them. Someone has to QA them and make, make sure that the robot is doing what it's been designed to do. And that as new risks come along, we understand how to build those. So again, we will need underwriters, but they will probably be a different size and shape and doing what they probably believe are their, uh, exploiting their core skills. So they would find the roles probably more fulfilling. And of course, you know, if you think about what we bring as insurers to this market, we bring that tailored personal service. So in, certainly in some of our more uh, uh, bespoke and commercial lines, that individual process is going to be impossible to automate. It's about a relationship, a dialogue, and building the right products. So, so underwriters, I think, are here to stay, although we will probably need different sort of shape and size and less of them. 
Uh, what about uh, legacy systems? Again, I've been speaking to some of my colleagues in some of the Alliance global business businesses, and they're incredibly excited about robotics because you know where, where they've grown through acquisition and they've bought tens of companies all of whom are on their own platforms, you know, running their own systems with their own data. Robotics at last is the way for them affordably to start to aggregate their MI, their data, and their decision-making. So very, very exciting. And it's, it's been physically impossible and possibly cost-prohibitive to start to put a, a global um, infrastructure system out in the past. So, yes, it could give some, some great opportunities to put a new front-end on a lot of, of legacy IT systems. However... My colleagues are also incredibly concerned and worried that actually we are, as I've described, putting another layer on what is already quite a complicated infrastructural um, arrangement. So one of our be awares with robotics is to make sure that we aren't just adding another layer of complication and another area for us to think about. Um, will it automate everything? No, but if you can write a rule around something, by and large, you can automate it. Is it a passing fad? I think certainly. If you look at that uh, generational curve that I mentioned, we all will sort out the really simple RPA stuff, the rap, uh, robotic process automation stuff, really quite quickly. I reckon in five years we'll have done most of that. Um, and it'll be the more exciting stuff uh, that goes through the pipe. Is it, is it free? Um, is it easy? It's relatively straightforward, but certainly, again, what we have done is we've done a full business case uh, and, and investing, you know, a few hundreds of thousands of pounds to get started, whether that's buying bots, whether that's uh, working with consultancies, whether that's buying infrastructural environments to physically do the building and the, the, the testing, putting governance structures in place. So we've had, had to be very open and sensible about uh, a build business case. The really good news is, though, is when you get into the rhythm of this, the business case really is very compelling. So uh, from that perspective, you'll need some in investment origi originally, but yes, you can get on with it. Um, and is it fail-safe? No. And this is one of the things, I guess, that we're most anxious about and one of our biggest learnings from the pilot uh, that we have done. So um, I guess, you know, the, 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 the thing that robotics clearly does bring you is it does bring you, however, a lot more confidence that if a process is done, it will always be done well. And I guess to the point around the fail-safe piece is clearly if it's done wrong, it is always done wrong. Um, and therefore, it's critical that we make sure we have the right governance and oversight. Um, so before you embark on your journey, just, just sort of bringing some of those things together, uh, these are the questions I th we think you should ask yourself. Um, you know, what does robotics mean for your business? Where does it fit in your business? Are you building new products? Uh, or are you looking to enhance your customer proposition? Are you looking to drive down your risk? What, what is it you're trying to do? And make sure you've got a clear uh, view of that. Again, in Alliance, is a big chunk of it is around uh, robotic process automation, about uh, making sure that we're able to create processes that are more efficient to reduce our cost. But also a big chunk is around what new business models can we build uh, with access to all of this data that's out there that will help us create and move on in, in, uh, in the market more generally. And the risk reduction piece is incredibly compelling. So, again, for, 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 much, uh, for much of the last few years, we have been pulling data to, to make sure we understand fully the risk of the things that we ensure. Um, and an RPA can help us do that more efficiently and effectively. So those are the things to think about. The creepy line is interesting. Um, I think these, are, these words are stolen from, from possibly our EY colleagues. I'm sure there might be a few people in the room today. In fact, and thank you very much for much of the graphics in this presentation to, to EY as well. Um, but the creepy line is all about the ethics of this. So do you need to tell your customers that they're talking to a robot or not? It's a really good question. If, like me, you get frustrated and cross, uh, it might be useful to preempt that. But are there any 
processes? Are there any dialogues that you need to have that means you have to ask that question up front? It's an unanswered question, but one I think that's starting to emerge as something for us to be very conscious of. Um, you know, what, what, is it, what are your long-term goals? What are you trying to get out of this? Make sure you've got a, an investment case. And then the last one, of course, for us is what are we going to tell our people as we embark on this program of change? Um, because as you've seen from the, the first slide, there's a huge amount of uh, scary stories out there, which basically says no one will have a job and the world will change and, we're, you know, we're all in two years' time, we'll all be sitting at home with nothing to do. But what is your message to your people? Are you going to talk about this openly? How are you going to position it? How are you going to launch it? And what are you going to describe it as to, to your team? So we put quite a lot of thought into that when we, uh, when we launched our program and built a team and shared that with our company. So, uh, so very, very interesting things to think about, I think, I hope. Um, as far as a sort of um, what we have done in, in the, down and in the detail, um, as I said, you know, we've done quite a lot of uh, automation of simple processes. We are now moving into trying to get a bit more sophisticated. We've partnered with uh, Blue Prism, so I don't, again, I don't know if they're here, um, and UEPath to, to help us focus on two different ends of the uh, robotic spectrum. So we are very excited about UEPath because we feel that their um, AI capabilities are uh, will give us room to grow and, and learn and test what we're doing up through that path. Um, but, uh, but we've got UE, um, UEPath in the mix as well because they are cheaper, they are simpler, and, and therefore quicker to, to do things. So we think the mix of both of those different tool sets is, is, a, is the right solution for us. Um, and we've, we, we launched a program, a proper program of work um, with a proper business case and what have you sort of three or four months ago, five months ago, and we're already seeing our first robotic solutions and benefits coming out into our business. So it's really exciting for us. Um, but we've gone slowly, we've gone steadily, and we've gone, we've gone carefully because of this very first point around governance. So our biggest fear, certainly my biggest fear, is we're just adding more complexity, creating the next legacy problem with all of these robots buried away in our business that we don't know about, that we forget about, uh, that we haven't got listed in, a, in, a, in our uh, software catalogue somewhere which says, you know, if you change this field in this piece of software over here, suddenly this robot will stop working. And if that robot stops working, so do these three others. So we are very cautiously and trying to be incredibly, in I guess a typical Alliance way, very, very structured and focused about what we are automating, where, documenting it, testing it, um, and we have a very strong governance framework before we put anything live um, into, our, into our business. So, uh, so from that perspective, I would say that's the one thing that we have learnt um, uh, very importantly and early on, and I encourage you all to do the same. So we've also invested, one of the things you need to invest in is a more robust QA function. So every um, robot needs to be checked to make sure it continues working as designed. Um, and you need to make sure that you have regular checks pre and post live to ensure that it's still doing what it was supposed to. So governance is a critical one for us. Um, you know, an operating model, that needs to be robust and agile, but you need to make sure you have owners for these robots. They are like people. So somebody, they are working for somebody in your business. It's not an IT problem that you, ha you, ha uh, you know, hand over the fence to IT. These are people in your business doing your jobs for you, and therefore they need to be owned. They need to be made the responsibility of the underwriting area, whatever it may well be. Really important. Um, and you need to create an environment where if it's not working, you stop and you move on to the next thing. Um, uh, as far as sort of, um, opportunity identification and assessment is concerned, again, this is critical. So we have started a couple of use cases um, and realized quite early on that they were much more complicated than we realized. 
So we have now, which of course sort of beats the, defeats the object of, a, of an RPA program. So what we now have is a template and a series of questions that we ask ourselves before we even embark on, on a robotics uh, piece of work, on, on a process. Um, and that stops us wasting time, wasting money, um, and ensures that actually we're, we're maximizing the potential of the, of the function that we've built. Um, it also ensures that, as I said, the process needs to be owned, that it's documented, that somebody uh, is taking responsibility for its ongoing maintenance, etc. Um, and I guess the final thing that I would mention in, in this space is it's really important that your processes are simple and documented to start with. So back to Allianz's example, we have offshored a large number of our simple back office processes, and we've, we did that five or ten years ago. So we're very fortunate. They're written down, they're understood, they've been continuously sort of improved and enhanced over the last five or six years, and so they are superb candidates for automation. So we've got a, a ready-made pipeline, if you like, of things to focus on. Um, from, a, from a development and infrastructure perspective, don't skimp on that. You need to do this in the same rigour as you would anything else. Um, and communication as well. Get the communication right so that you, you pitch it appropriately with your people. But I've, I've already covered that. So, so that was the sort of, I don't know if that's useful, but the gems of wisdom based on the experience that we've had at Allianz. It is an incredibly exciting time. As far as what next is concerned, I did have a whole load of words on this slide originally, and then I realised, you know, who am I kidding? I have no idea <laughs> uh, what's coming next. Um, but certainly from our perspective, um, you know, we are incredibly encouraged, excited, and at this point, having seen the output from a lot of what we've been doing, very encouraged uh, that this is, this is a good thing for us all to invest in. Um, but I think, you know, the, the challenge for us is we need to be a pacey, but it needs to be steady and careful. Um, it's all about, for us, technical excellence and customer enhancement sort of in equal measure and making sure that we support and drive and take our people through the process as well. So we're trying to keep those three things very much in balance. Um, so as I say, if I leave you one final thought, if you're going down this, this avenue, don't forget the governance around this and make sure that you keep the controls that you need in your business. This isn't a silver bullet, but it most definitely is a, a fantastic opportunity. Uh, everyone in insurance should start to embrace. So thank you very much.